Diseasing Anxiety and Depression on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. And this week, once again, I'm joined by Dr. Sam Stevens, our Director of Training Center Certification, and uh, we are here this week to talk about mental disorders, the the ones that have been classified. Particularly, we're going to boil this week down to talk about uh, anxiety and depression specifically. Certainly, we could separate these out, but we wanted to try and tackle these because there's a similar narrative that runs throughout both of these types of disorders as they're defined by the DSM. And, and I just want us to be aware of some of the things that are that are undergirding the idea behind mental health as it relates to these particular categories of anxiety and depression. And again, we're in the month of May. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we want to just raise these issues uh, so that you can be more aware of the language that's used out there. Now, Sam, there are several ways that we could uh, address this, and I, I think it's important for us to consider the time that we're currently in now. We've been dealing with the idea of a pandemic now for four or five months, and here we are wrestling with uh, the realities that we're seeing un- unfold before us. One of the things that I keep reading is a constant increase in mental health. That Our public health officials were once talking about, we need to flatten the curve, make sure that the hospitals are okay. Some of that now has transitioned. That talk has transitioned to think about the impact of the pandemic uh, moving now toward a third or fourth stage, which incorporates a fear of some sorts uh, of the flood of, quote-unquote, mental health problems. And now we have to worry about uh, the psychiatric industry and the psychological industry are going to be flooded with people who are now affected by the pandemic, which has nothing to do with some sort of underlying uh, true virus or disease really at all. And so uh, it's interesting, some of the articles that I've read, and I've seen this increasingly come out both in the UK and here in the US. One article stated that, and this was back at the end of March, that 34.1% increase in uh, prescriptions for anti-anxiety medications. Now, that's incredible. And part of what I want to talk about today, the whole narrative builds itself into saying that anxiety and depression, as we've talked about in weeks past, uh, are something that's medical, that are something that are classified as diseases that need medical treatment in order for people to overcome that or or manage it and to be cared for. I, I want us to discuss this because so many, even in the biblical counseling movement, seem to be okay with just leaving those classifications sort of on the side. We can use those as proper classifications uh, and then and then use biblical language to describe. Part of my concern is as we buy into that narrative, we're not just buying into to the criteria that's expressed. We we also buy into the baggage that's with it. So so help me, help us, help our listeners to understand what's the problem if we were to adopt these types of categories, all the, the listing of diagnoses that, that fall under the headings of depression, depressive moods, and anxiety moods. Uh, what, what's the problem with adopting all the baggage that comes with this from some sort of DSM diagnosis uh, of depression and anxiety? 
Yeah, I think that's a very important question. Before I can speak to that, I, I want to note, just in addition to what you said, uh, in a recent article that was published through the Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, they talked about this very thing in relation to we're kind of on the back end of the pandemic, at least this this uh, this season of it, uh, discussion about suicide rates, which have been rising in the United States for, for two decades now. So it's not um, limited to just the coronavirus, uh, this pandemic. But now we're having more and more discussions, and you see uh, almost probably most of our listeners will see this on even the news, uh, mental health concerns, these adverse outcomes to social distancing. Um, and so this article specifically focused on suicide risk. And the problems in- included in this article talked about decreased community support, social social isolation, exposure to national anxiety. And so the news And then, of course, barriers to mental health services, which you discussed. And the solutions proposed in this article would be the same kind of answers, increased mental health services, tele-mental health screenings. Again, this conflation between physical health interventions and mental health interventions. So they're they're one and the same. Now, back to your, your question what should we be concerned about here? Uh, as we've talked about the last three weeks, uh, when we think about psychiatry as a field in its approach, we cannot ignore the philosophical underpinnings that the entire field has. And as we noted last week, it's not just Christians that are pointing this out. Psychiatrists, a plethora of, of psychiatrists, well-known, um, well-credentialed psychiatrists understand this about their, their own field. The concern that we should have about utilizing the categories, the, the, the terminologies, the frameworks that the American Psychiatric Association, the DSM, purports is that we are essentially redefining human nature. Philip Reeve, who um, I've read quite a bit of, I'm sure maybe a lot of our listeners have not heard of him, well-known so- sociologist, in one of his books, The Feeling Intellect, talked about this idea of the therapeutic. I've talked about a lot of a lot of this. I think it's a really important framework that we cannot ignore. Uh, he said this in his book The Feeling Intellect. The therapeutic is the most revolutionary of all modern movements. Basically towards a new world of nothing sacred. There is a therapy where theology once was. Religious man was born to be saved. The psychological man is born to be pleased. And so we see this shift now from a uh, man in relation to God, you know, we, we understand us biblically best when we understand our creator, to now that being removed, uh, this, this twoism being removed, and God is being removed, and now it's just man in relation to himself. It's a therapeutic understanding of man. So what do we see happen? Well, th- this is just the common logical fl- uh, follow uh, of that, uh, that shift in anthropology. We are essentially reconfiguring misery, sadness, fear. We're, we're reconfiguring that misery of life into now an illness. And this is all in an effort to address these problems that can't be ignored without objective morality or objective truth. And so now uh, the psychiatric industry at large, definitely uh, clinical psychology and psychotherapeutic approaches are all about assuaging guilt, removing the concept of disease, and replacing with dis-ease. Uh, if you if you understand me, so discomfort, anything that would cause us pain, now we must at, at all in uh, in all of our efforts remove that. Yeah, that's right. And and I think when we look at the DSM categories, uh, you and I are not saying that 
uh, people who do not have the Spirit of God, who are secularists in their mind, cannot describe certain things. That's not what we're saying. Um, the problem is that the DSM system in and of itself really lends itself with the baggage that it that it has. Even in the introduction, it describes that the whole point of the criterion system is to uh, to build a fully informed treatment plan, which is interesting because in the whole DSM, they say there's no etiology. So the, the DSM, its approach, the baggage that comes with it, is it's not just a simplicity of descriptions. Yes, a lot of the criterion descriptions uh, that are given are are accurate in their expression to say, yes, people are sad, people struggle with this, this is something that's sometimes very deep in its degree, and so on and so forth. However, we have to be cautious to think that uh, those systems, those uh, diagnostic criteria are not value-free. They, they come with ideas of prescription, and, and that's the problem with the baggage. When we talk about 34.1% of people uh, or increase in prescriptions because of now anti-anxiety medication, the increase of uh, suicide during this pandemic, it demonstrates something that, that at least all of us should have a question about, is if the whole narrative has been pushing us to say that depression is biological, anxiety is biological, and yet what we're seeing happen from a very socio-environmental impact of something like a pandemic right, where our physical health is under scrutiny, we lose control, we feel pressure from an emotional standpoint, and yet that's what's increasing the, the fear and the concern. We ought to question, is this really coming from some sort of biological background? Right. Well, and, and just to uh, further what you just said, let's not forget the DSM is a diagnostic manual. So these are this is primarily used for clinicians. These are people that are trained to use these categories to make observations, but of course they're ascribing value. All of our listeners have presuppositions about uh about their world. We all have assumptions that we bring to the table. Of course, clinicians trained this way will have uh, a, a worldview that's going to be based in the biological psychiatry framework that we talked about. Um, when you look at the DSM, for example, let's use, for instance, depressive disorders. Even the manual itself speaks to the fact that it's not value-free. We're coming with these observations, but we're bringing with it assumptions. In its attempt to make itself more scientific, they're trying to come across as being objective, but it's impossible to be that way. Let's just read what it says here for a moment under depressive disorders. It says the common feature of all of these disorders, and just to make a side note, it's over 20 when you look at types and subtypes just in this one category. So it's it's astronomical. It's continuing to grow. The common feature of all these disorders is the presence of sad, empty, or irritable mood accompanied by somatic and cognitive changes that significantly affect the individual's capacity to function. What differs among them are issues of duration, timing, or presumed etiology. Uh, it's presumed. And even all of those aspects are very subjective. Timing, duration, sadness. Who hasn't felt sadness? You know, who adjudicates what the basis is? And as we talked about the last three weeks, committees. All right. That's right. Yeah. And, and what, what's called clinical utility, what they're seeing in their experiences in their offices. And so I, I think this is important for us to consider. So I think a question is, are we medicalizing normal? Is that what we're doing? Is our, our, Because these types of moods, I don't know about you, Sam, and maybe some of our listeners, but I've experienced anxiety before. Now, I'm not minimizing the fact that there aren't degrees of the way that we experience these emotional issues. 
uh, depression, when, when things happen. I mean, the, the Scriptures tell us in this world we will have trouble. So why do we think it's strange? Why do we feel like we have to categorically place this now under some sort of uh, medical jurisdiction? Uh, so the question then is, uh, are we medicalizing normal? I, I'm, I'm looking at an article here uh, that I've read. It, it's entitled this, Almost Everyone Meets Criteria for Mental Illness. Yeah, I find that interesting because uh, what it's claiming is that there's an increase in uh, in recognition that almost everybody, uh, up to eighty from between eighty five and ninety percent of people, sometime in their lifetime, will have met the criteria that's found in the DSM for something like an anxiety disorder or depression uh, depressive disorder. And so, I find that interesting. What what are we doing? What, are are we taking what is really normal life in a fallen, broken? sin-cursed world where there is trouble and difficulty, and are we just trying to make that medical by our own philosophies? Yeah, the the short answer to that is yes. Uh, Normal has been medicalized. Uh, It's continuing to be. I don't see that's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, in Joanna Moncrieff's book, The Myth of the Chemical Cure, where she's really tracing the history and really criticizing psychiatric drug treatments. Uh, In her chapter dealing with antidepressants, for example, she discusses that really since the, the late 1950s, antidepressants came onto the scene in psychiatry pushed by the psychiatric industry, the very concept of the antidepressant is an inherently disease-centered notion. That's, again, expressed in the word itself. It consists of the idea that a drug can improve symptoms of depression, not just through drug-induced effects, but by reversing the process of depression, at least temporarily. Implicit in this idea is that depression is caused by a physiological mechanism that drugs can act upon. This is what's uh, known uh, widely as the monoamine hypothesis of depression. And it was actually, this is interesting, it was actually formulated upon assumptions in psychiatry. Uh, that's not how traditional medicine works. So now you have a, a hypothesis for the cause of a problem that's actually come about because of the use of drugs. And what she says here is this monoamine hypothesis suggests that symptoms of depression are caused by a deficiency of brain monoamines, basically neurotransmitters. According to this theory, antidepressant drugs are thought to exert their therapeutic action by increasing brain monoamine levels. But of course, uh, even since the, the the beginnings of that hypothesis and many others that have followed and continue to be born, uh, there's been no scientific, definitely no conclusive evidence to show that that's uh, actually uh, validated. In fact, the literature actually demonstrates the the lack of efficacy with the medical treatment. And, and now we're not saying that, that people don't have some sort of uh, feelings of, of feeling better. Maybe their emotional highs are not as high and their lows are not as low. These are psychoactive medications, which means that that they have substances that have impact on the brain. Uh, The issue I think that's important for us is are they curing it? And the literature is demonstrating right now that the increase of diagnostic inflation, more opportunities for this type of medicine to be prescribed, giving us more samples that are being researched and studied that, that are beginning to question the efficacy of this medication to do what it says it will do. In fact, not only are we seeing a question of the efficacy, we're also seeing a detriment in some of the major side effects that are happening with these uh, very potent drugs. And so I think these are important questions for us to ask that as we run this philosophical narrative trying to medicalize what is what are very normal experiences in life, first of all, we ostracize people. We ostracize them, pushing them aside, acting as if well, there's something wrong with you. 
right? Uh, and in, in that narrative, we begin to stigmatize people in a certain way, when in reality, uh, part of what they're experiencing is, is quite normal if we understand life from a Christian disposition that this is a broken world. And so I think we need to awaken our mind, awaken our eyes, awaken our ears to pay attention to what's happening uh, in the secular scientific uh, literature that's questioning this narrative that our culture, even church and Christian culture, has bought into very, very deeply. And so I, I do think we see that, not just among people like you and me who would maybe be called religious fanatics, but we're seeing this among the establishment in psychiatry and in psychology, raising these questions about very common experiences uh, like anxiety and depression. Now, I, I want to do something very quickly, if we can, and I'm just going to read. Uh, we, we could do this if we had time for both depression and anxiety. I'm going to read the criteria for generalized anxiety disorder. And, and I want you to hear the way in which it's described. I think it's important. Except, the first criteria, excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months about a number of events or activities such as work or school. The, the individual, the second criteria, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. The third, the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following symptoms. The first one, restlessness, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance. Now on to the fourth criteria. The anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social occupation or other important areas. The fifth, the, the disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance. And the sixth, the disturbance is not better explained by another mental disorder. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those types of things, I don't read something that's clinically definable as a medical disorder. What, what I read are common experiences that you probably had last month and that I probably had last month uh, experienced to some degree or another. Now, I fully acknowledge that there are uh, higher degrees of intensity uh, in, in these emotional, um, emotional experiences. So we're not removing the idea of those experiences. We're just saying that maybe we shouldn't put this in a category of medicalization. Maybe we should acknowledge this as being a part of the normal cursed world that we live in. Now, a further question that I think is important for us to ask, not only are we medicalizing normal, but, but I think it's important, especially during this month, Mental Health Awareness Month, where we would ask the question, as we look at all of this, as we look at all of the DSM, its criteria, the aim of the psychiatric uh, system, the aim of psychologists in their talk therapy, what is the goal? If we look at mental health, what is it that they're actually trying to accomplish that makes their means and their way superior to any other and, and so believable to the common culture? What is it that they're aiming at? That's a great question. According to Mental Health America, which is the nation's oldest and largest uh, mental health advocacy group, uh, it's about living mentally healthy. So what does that look like? And according to their website, things like avoiding stress because stress hurts, staying positive, um, seeking professional health. So even then, it, we're just turning right back to, let's turn right back to the health, uh, the mental health industry for answers and guidance on these things. And I think this is one of the most dangerous aspects about this is they advocate for spiritual health. Well, why would our listeners think that's dangerous? Because, and we've mentioned this already before too, we are uh, emphasizing the utilitarian value of religious uh, religion or religious use. Self-help, therapeutic. Uh, so that, that's exactly that's right. right. So things like, and, and I quote this, focus on your own or universal wisdom 
or trust in a greater force. We see the same thing in um, the addiction uh, recovery industry as well. So we point to general spirituality, but again, let's not get specific. We're not we're not talking about going to God in the Bible because that's sin and that's messy, and we've got responsibility. We've talked about this before. Uh, I and you just mentioned it. The, the, a, a huge danger in this is that um, unlike other uh, unlike unlike physical diseases, diseases that are associated with traditional medicine, psychiatric disorders, uh, mental illness brings a great weight. Uh, it distorts identity, mm-hmm. it distorts responsibility, and it essentially uh, takes our eyes off of our purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's critical for us to see that, that what we're after is we're allowing them to define what is healthy as opposed to allowing the Scriptures to define what it means to, to walk uh, in peace, to walk in purity, and to walk in health uh, before the Lord. And we're not allowing the Scriptures to define what, what normalcy really is is and what normalcy really means, and we're stripping Jesus as the the pinnacle for how it is that we are restored by His grace, by His work, by His power, by His Word, yes. by the Spirit. Uh, we are stripping the power that God has given in His sufficient Word uh, to restore us, and we're looking to something else. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, the last uh, four weeks, we have been talking about Mental Health Awareness Month, and we do hope and pray that you understand the things that we've discussed in the spirit in which we've tried to discuss them. We're certainly not promoting the ideas of mental health. We're seeing those narratives as philosophical, philosophically contrary uh, to what the Bible describes about human problems. It's an attempt in some way to strip uh, the ideas of Scripture away from how we define human problems, redefining of people and the issues that they face. Uh, we simply want to help our listeners to understand that distinction, to think thoroughly through that process, how the system was built, the ideas that were behind it, because what we want to be able to see is that, that you not lack confidence in the Bible. We don't want you to lack confidence in the power of God in what He's granted us to understand the issues of life. And so we've put a lot of effort into giving you some of this information. We want to encourage you to ask questions. We know that the four weeks that we've discussed this issue have probably raised a ton of questions. And so would you send us your questions? We would love to address those issues on future podcasts. Uh, and you can do that by sending us an email at info at biblicalcounseling.com.